Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Our first scripture reading this morning is Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That is the reading of God's word. Now turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Second reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning at verse 26. So 1 Corinthians 14, beginning at verse 26. Again, listen to the very words of God. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent for you can all prophesy, prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. That is the reading of God's Word. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we have sort of taken a step away from our normal uh, pattern here at Trinity. Our, our normal pattern is simply to work our way through a, a book of the Bible, uh, verse by, by verse. But for the last few weeks, we have been uh, studying more topically. Uh, at the beginning of the new year, I, I spoke to you about uh, resolutions, about the resolutions for good that we often make at the beginning of a new year. And I suggested to you that all Christians ought to make Resolutions. That is, this is something that we actually ought to do. We don't necessarily have to do it at the beginning of a new year, but as Christians, we must be resolved to live lives worthy of the gospel. We must be resolved to walk in the footsteps of faith. And as we saw when we looked at these resolutions, we, we saw that all the power necessary for us to keep these resolutions, is available to us in Christ by faith. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, all the immeasurable power of God is at work in us who believe. However, these two observations regarding resolutions, they, they left us with a question. 
if we ought to make resolutions, and if all the power necessary for us to keep the resolutions is at our disposal in Christ, then why do we so often fail? Why do we... Why do we so often fall on our face when we resolve to do good? And what we saw is that we fail because we're not making use of the power that is at our disposal in Christ. We are not plugged in, so to speak. This then led us to a, a question. Well, if the reason we fail is because we're not plugged in, how do we plug in? How do we go about making use of the power that is at our disposal. And what we saw is that God has given us ordinary means of grace, ordinary means by which His grace is poured into our lives, ordinary means by which the power which is ours in Christ can, can flow into our lives and can empower us to live the lives He has called us to. And these ordinary means of grace are His Word and prayer. He has given us His Word and He has given us prayer that we might live lives worthy of the calling that we have received. You see, the Word is living and active. Paul says that it is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. Peter tells us that it is by the Word that we have been born again. But not only that, it is by the Word that we now grow up into the salvation that is ours. It is the Word that sanctifies us. It is the Word that transforms us. It is the Word that renews our mind. And in the same way, we are told that prayer is powerful and effective. Our prayers accomplish much. We do not have because we do not ask, James says, following the teaching of Jesus who said that if we ask in His name, we will have whatever we ask for. He will give us what we need. To live to the glory of His name. So we saw that we lack power in our lives because we're not making use of the means of grace that God has given us. And so it is with that in mind, with this sort of analysis of the situation that we said we want to spend a few weeks talking about how do we use the means of grace that God has given us. How do we make use of His Word and prayer? And obviously we could... You know, divide that study up in a number of different ways. There's a number of different ways we could, we could come at the question of how to use the Word of Prayer. But what I want us to do, beginning this morning and then for the next couple of weeks, is I want us to look at how we use the means of grace in three different contexts. First, I want us to ask, how do we use the means of grace here, right now, in corporate worship? How does the means of grace uh, work when we gather together as the people of God on the Lord's Day. Then I want to ask next week, how do we use the means of grace when we gather together in smaller groups? So we're not here together in corporate worship, but we're still together. We're still sharing life. We're still doing life together. And then finally, I want to ask, how do we use these means of grace in our own private devotion when we are alone, when we are reading the word on our own and we are praying in our own closet? How do we use the means of grace there? And so three contexts. Corporate worship, smaller group settings, and then individually. How do we use the word and prayer? So this morning we begin with corporate worship. How do we use the means of grace when we gather together to worship as the body of Christ? And I really want to make four points this morning. 
as we think about using the means of grace in corporate worship. The first thing I want to show you is that this service is actually meant for our good. We gather together in order to be edified. We gather together in order to be built up, to have our faith strengthened and our resolve strengthened. Then I want to show that because this service is for our good, the means of grace that God has given us ought to have a central place here in this service. And then third, I want to talk about why it's important that we use the means of grace, not only individually, but together as the body. And then finally, I want to give you a few instructions for how to actually do that. So let's just begin with the idea that this service is meant for our good. Corporate worship is for the edification of God's people. Now, some of you are saying, well, of course. Others of you, that sounds a little strange, especially in our circles. You see, some time ago... The idea of what was called seeker-sensitive worship was introduced. You've probably heard the term. The idea was that that we were going to make our worship services more attractive to unbelievers. We were going to make our our worship services more comprehensible to the unchurched. The the motivation was so that they would come and they would hear the gospel. You've probably seen different signs or or posters that that announce this way of thinking. People, churches announce that they have reimagined church. I just saw the sign yesterday. Reimagined. We've reimagined church. Others say we're going to change the way that you think about church. We do it differently. Those are the kind of phrases you see among among people who who think these these ways. They they think that they're going to do church differently. They're going to make it more palatable to those who are not in. The church and one of the unintended consequences of that way of thinking is that it it promotes a consumer mindset. Now, that's not why it was done. And certainly it's not the only reason for the consumer mindset that is so prevalent in our uh, church today. But but it is a factor. People view church. They they view the, the worship service as a product to be attained and, and used for their benefit. And so they shop around the way they would shop around for any other product, the way they would shop around for a car. They, they look for one that meets their preferences. They, they look for one that meets their needs. And in the same way that they discard products when they no longer serve their purpose, they discard their church whenever it no longer is what they want or when they decide that they are just looking for something new. I don't think I need to argue that that way of thinking is detrimental to what the church is supposed to be. It it utterly destroys the fabric of a faith community. And therefore, people have reacted against it. People have reacted against this consumer way of thinking. And rightly so. We, We must not have that sort of consumer mindset. But... In our reaction against, I want to suggest to you that we may have overreacted. Because have you ever heard people say that, you know, worship isn't for us, it's for God? You ever heard that? You know, people say, you know, you're not coming here to serve yourself, you're coming here to serve Him. You're coming here to, to give Him the worship that is due your name. It's not about your experience. You heard that? It's not about your experience. It's not about your music preferences. It's, it's not about you, period. Worship is for God. It sounds pious. 
It even sounds biblical when you when you consider that Isaiah blasted the Israelites for pleasing themselves on the Lord's day. They were pleasing themselves. They weren't supposed to be doing that. Worship isn't for them. It's for God. It sounds positive. It sounds biblical, but it's not. You see, Scripture teaches us that while God is clearly the object of our worship, the only object of our worship, He is the one we come to worship. We gather to worship for our benefit. When we gather to worship, it is for us. It is meant to be for our good. We, we see this clearly in the two texts that we read this morning. The first was Hebrews chapter 10. Turn back there. Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 25, we have what is probably the clearest command in all of Scripture to do what we're doing here. Do not neglect to gather together. Do not neglect it. You are supposed to be here. It is a biblical command. We, we are to gather together as God's people. We are not to neglect doing this, as is the habit of some. But notice the rationale. I don't have time to unpack the, the whole passage, but just notice why the author of Hebrews says that we are supposed to gather. We gather for two reasons. First, so that we may hold fast to our confession of faith. And so that we may stir one another up to love and good works. We gather for worship so that our faith may be strengthened. Our confession of faith may be strengthened. And so that we might be encouraged to do the good works which naturally flow out of that faith. This is the reason we gather so that we might be strengthened and encouraged to believe and to obey. This is why we gather for worship. We see the same thing in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 is, is part of a larger section in Paul's letter, a, a section in which he is teaching about the gifts of the Spirit. And again, I don't have time to, to unpack the whole thing, but, but what Paul makes perfectly clear in those chapters is that the, the, the spiritual gifts have been given to the church for the common good of the church. They are to be used... Not to advance ourselves or to make a reputation for ourselves, but rather the spiritual gifts are to be used to build up the body. They are for the common good. And so in the verses that I read, he is talking about how you use those spiritual gifts in worship. And what is clear is that the, the desire to serve the common good is what controls the use of the spiritual gifts in worship. We are to use them in such a way that builds up. And so things that do not build up, things that do not serve the good of the body are not to be done in the worship service because the worship service is for our edification. We gather together that we might be served. Yes, he is the object. We come to worship him. He alone is our focus. But in God's economy, when we give him worship, we receive benefit when we worship him when we when we see him in his glory when we praise him for who he is and, and for what he has done when we thank him for our gifts when we bring our petitions before him when we sit under the preaching of his word we benefit we are served that's why we are commanded to gather together for worship and it makes sense then that if, if God intends worship to be for our good, then it makes sense that these means of grace that he has given us 
would be at the very heart of the worship service that he intends his church to have. And that's exactly what we see. These means of grace are at the very heart of worship. So let's look just briefly at the place of the means of grace in our corporate worship. We said that the means of grace are our word and prayer. So where do these show up when we gather together? Well, I saw a, a bulletin board not too long ago that, that advertised the Sunday morning worship service of the church with these words. It said, worship in the word. Actually, it said, only worship in the word. They were, they were trying to communicate that they had sort of pared their worship service down to the bare essentials. And so, the, so they had limited their worship service to just worship in the word. Now, we know what they mean by that, right? They mean singing and preaching. This is what they had pared their worship service down to. And, and we know why they speak that way. But let me suggest to you it's not very helpful. It's not very helpful because it suggests that the worship part of the service is the singing. And then you get the preaching. Sort of we add that on. You know, it's a, it's a good word together. We might as well get some teaching in. You know, that's not right. All right. You know, Jeff often says that we are now going to continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings. Well, I could say the same thing before the sermon. We are now going to continue our worship by submitting ourselves to the reading and the preaching of God's word. In fact, I would suggest to you that there is nothing that we can do to more express our devotion to Christ as Lord than to sit under the reading and the preaching of his word. It's one thing to confess, yes, he's my Lord. It's another thing to say, teach me. Give me your word as authoritative in my life. The, the preaching and the, the reading of the word is an expression of our, our worship. And that's why this, this, this time of preaching and teaching is, is central in our worship service. But of course, it is surrounded by prayer. This, this preaching of the word is surrounded by prayer. We begin with prayer. We, we begin with a, a prayer of invocation where we name God. Where we say, this is the God whom we have gathered to worship. The, the one true and living God, the maker of heaven and earth. And we ask for his blessing upon our service. We say, God, we will not do this well if you are not with us. We, we do not have it in us to worship you in a manner worthy of your name. So be with us now as we Worship. We begin with an invocation. Then we also have the, the other prayers, the prayer of the pastoral prayer that Todd offered this morning is a, is a time where we bring our, our petitions, our, our praises and our petitions. That's what prayer is. It is praise and petition. We, we bring our praises and our petitions before God. We have the prayer before the, the reading of the word where we ask that, that God open our eyes, a prayer for illumination. We, we have a prayer after the sermon where we ask that God would, would take what we had heard and he would cause it to bear fruit in our lives. And then we have all the songs that we sing. You see, those songs are essentially prayers. They are either praises, praises of God for who He is and what He has done, or they are petitions for God to act and to, to bring to fruition His Word in our lives. And so the service is, is simply the Word surrounded by prayer. That is what the corporate worship service is. This is what we do in worship. We come to make use of the means of grace that God has given us as one body corporately. Of course, this leads us to a question. If the corporate worship service is simply the, the use of the means of grace that God has 
given us. The, the, the word surrounded by prayer. Why? Why do we have to come to worship to use the means of grace? Can't we do that elsewhere? You know, I, I've had uh, people tell me, you know, I find it much easier to worship on my own out in the woods, you know, with, with nature, uh, up on a mountain somewhere, up on a hiking trail somewhere. I, I find it easier to, to worship God away from the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of, of Sunday morning. You've maybe felt that yourself. And let me tell you, I don't disagree. <laughs> I don't deny the premise. It may be easier for you to worship on your own, out in the woods somewhere. That may be easier, but that being said, I still want to suggest to you, in fact, I want to exhort you that you need to participate in the corporate worship of God. We could simply point at Hebrews and say, listen, God says don't neglect it, so that's sort of enough. And we could stop there, but, but we're going to give you further reasons for, for why you need this. Why does God command? You see, when God gives us commands, when he says not to neglect something, it's always because it's for our good. So why do we need to use the means of grace corporately? Why do we need to gather together as a congregation of Christ's church in order to worship him? I want to suggest to you three reasons, three reasons. And again, the list could be bigger. It could be smaller. This is not a definitive list, but there are at least three reasons why we need to gather together as the people of God in order to worship him, in order to make use of the words surrounded by prayer. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul tells us of an encounter that he had with the Apostle Peter. Remember what he said? The Apostle Peter had begun to live a life that was out of accord with the gospel. He had ceased to have table fellowship with the Gentiles, at least when other Jews were around. And Paul tells us that he rebuked Peter to his face because he was living out of accord with the gospel. Now, I don't know that that rebuke took place in a corporate worship service. In fact, I, I sort of doubt it. But still, the the episode shows us something. It shows us how easy it is for us as believers in Jesus Christ to fall back into old patterns, to fall back into old ways of thinking, to, to begin to live out of accord with the gospel, to forget something essential. You see, we are still sinners. The good work which God has begun in us is not yet complete. And therefore, it is easy for us to slide back into old patterns. And that is one reason we desperately need the corporate worship of our God. We need to gather together with other believers that we might be reminded of the truth that we have believed. We need to believe in community because our faith needs to be strengthened by the faith of others. We need to be reminded of what we know to be true because we are so prone to forget. Here we walk by faith and not by sight. And so it is easy for us to forget the promises of God's word. It is, it is easy for us to, to forget the, the call to, to live a life worthy of the gospel. Now, for some of us, when we forget, it leads to complacency. We just sort of get comfortable with ourselves. For others, it leads to despair. But, but either way, 
We need to be part of a community that is consistently and, and regularly speaking the truth in love so that we will remember the truths that we have believed. The illustration that I so often use is, is singing Christmas carols. If you've ever been part of a group that, that goes out to sing Christmas carols in, in December, you know, most people, if you put them in a group, they can go and sing the Christmas carols. But they wouldn't want to get up here on stage and have to sing those same carols. Not because they would sound bad, although they might, but rather because they wouldn't remember the words. Have you ever been, been singing a song and you just can't remember the words, but if you get in a group, all of a sudden you can remember the words because enough people, enough of the time, remember enough of the words that the group as a whole can get through it? That's how I was when I was in high school choir. You know, When I was in high school, they made us. You know, we, I was at a small enough school that we just wanted to have music if the, everybody didn't have to participate. And so it was mandatory. You had to be in the choir. And so in my year in the choir, I didn't know what we were singing. But there was enough people around me who knew what we were singing. And I could get through it because other people remembered. That's a, a perfect picture of the Christian life. Enough people, enough of the time, remember enough of the truth that we can live this life that we have been called. If you're going through something particularly difficult, if, if you are in a dark time, it, you need someone who remembers the light. You need someone who remembers the joy to come alongside you and to remember the truth for you, so to speak. That's part of the way that this works. We, we need to be in corporate worship. It, it encourages us. But, but not only does it help us to remember the truth, it also encourages us to actually bring forth the fruit of that truth in our lives. How many of you have known somebody who kind of went off to camp and that they came back and they were just energized to transform their lives? You know people who've had this experience? They, they go to camp, they, they hear a concentrated time of teaching, uh, they're with other people who are excited about the same things, and now all of a sudden they are, they are excited to come back and to, to transform their life and to do things differently than they have done it before. For a long time I was cynical about such experiences, and you know why. Well, because they don't last, right? You know, people go to camp, they get excited, and then it begins to... Fade. And, and for a long time, that made me sort of cynical of the camp experience. But, but over time, I've come to discover it's not the fault of the camp experience. The fact that it fades is, is not, it's not wrong that they got energized about the truth. It, it, the problem is not that they got excited about transforming their lives. The problem is that God never intended those things to come like once a year. God intended us to have that experience weekly. As we gather together with God's people to hear the truth and to get excited about this truth that we believe. Yes, we are worn down throughout the week. That is the, the function of being sinners in a world polluted by sin. And we need to regularly gather together and to be re-energized, to be reminded of the wonders and the glories of what we have been called to. This morning in Sunday school, we were, we were studying the book of Philippians and looking at, at the example of Christ. And it ought to just energize us. This is who Christ is. This is the example that he has set. This is what we are being saved to. That ought to be a camp experience. You ought to be energized to say, that's what I want to do this week. In my marriage, in my, with my family, with, with my neighbors, I'm going to do it differently this week. That's the power of corporate worship. This is why God commands us 
to gather together. You need that. You need to be reminded of the truth and you need to, you need to be encouraged to bring forth the fruit of that truth in your life on a weekly basis. But not only do you need it, others need it. That's sort of my second point. <laughs> you know, you may think, well, I, I don't need that every week. Other people do. Other people do. And for us to have a community, you need to show up. You need to be here not only for your own encouragement, but for the encouragement of others. You need to be here that you might, you might be the one who remembers the words for them when they're forgetting. You need to be part of this body so that we may mutually encourage one another. It's exactly what Paul envisions in Romans chapter 1 as he's writing to the Romans. And he says, I long to be with you that I might encourage you and that you might encourage me that we might be mutually encouraged by one another. That's what happens when we gather together for corporate worship. And so we need that encouragement and others need that encouragement. There's a third reason we need to gather together for corporate worship. And it is this. You need the authority of the church when you are using the means of grace. Now, I know that sounds almost heretical to people in sort of the Protestant Reformed tradition. What do you mean I need the authority of the church? Why do I need the authority of the church? Isn't that what the Reformation was about? Wasn't the Reformation about getting out from under the authority of the church? Wasn't the Reformation about putting the Bible back into the people's hands? Isn't it enough for them to, to have the Bible in their own language? Isn't that enough? Well, no. You need the authority of the church. Yes, the reformers fought and, and the reformers even died to secure your right to hold the Bible in your own hands. They fought for the, the right for you to have the Bible in your own language and to be able to read it for yourself. They, they resisted Rome when Rome said that only the ordained clergy could be trusted with the words of Scripture. But be that as it may, and all that is true, it still nevertheless remains true that you need the church. You need the authority of the church as you read and, and feast upon the word that God has given you. You see, the word of God is not a ball of wax to be shaped any way you see fit. The words of God have meaning, independent of, of your making sense of them. And it is our responsibility to, to sort of mine that meaning, to, to discover that meaning in the words. And you need the church to oversee that process. God has given to His church certain pastors and, and teachers who, who oversee the, the process of interpretation. They are there to make sure that our understanding of the word is true to God's intended meaning. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you can't read the Bible for yourself. Of course you can. You know, the Bereans were praised for, for going to the Scriptures after Paul had taught to see if what he said was actually true. And, and you better be doing the same thing. You need to be going to the Word. When you hear a, a preacher or a teacher teach, you, your, your thought better be, oh, yes, I see now. Not, whoa, I never would have guessed that. You know, if your reaction is, whoa, I never would have guessed that, then you probably need to find a different teacher. You, know, you ought to be able to see it in the Word, but still you need those pastors, you need those teachers, the people who have been given to the church by God to oversee the interpretation, over interpre the interpretation of the text. 
Now, again, that doesn't mean that, that these teachers can't make mistakes. They do. Our own confession of faith says that, that the teachers and the councils of the church do and have made errors. But that's why it's important to be part of a church where the teachers themselves read and interpret the Scripture under the authority of the teachers of the church. You see, this is one of the reasons I love being a Presbyterian, because we are connected. We are connected to other churches who oversee my teaching. I don't know if you know that or not, but see, I don't get to stand up here and teach anything I want. I am under the authority of other teachers who, who make sure that what I'm saying, that what I'm teaching is in accord with the, what the Bible actually teaches. And it's not just teachers and preachers who are alive today. It is teachers and preachers going back for generations. We are a confessional church. The, what we believe the Bible teaches has been written down and it has not changed you know, it is, it is consistent over time. And so generations of teachers oversee what is taught. And that's the way that it ought to be. Because the teachers have been given the job of overseeing the preaching of the word. And you need to be in a church under the teaching, under the authority of the teachers and the preachers that God has given to his church. That you might understand the word properly. You see, it is a dangerous thing to go off by yourself with the Bible. And to say, I don't need anybody else. You do. You need to be in the community of the church. You need to be under the authority of the teachers that you might make the best use of the means of grace that God has given us. So that brings me to my final question. I know I'm running short on time here, but okay. so we've said that God has has called us to corporate worship for our good. And that he has put the, the means of grace at the heart of our worship service so that we might use them together as a body. And that we need to use them together as a body so that we might be strengthened and encouraged and so that we might use them properly, that we might use them well. So how do we, how do, we do that? How do we actually make use of the means of grace when we gather for corporate worship? Well, I want to give you three points here. And they actually all start with P. I don't do that very often, but they all, they all, they're alliterated for you. So they should be maybe easy to remember since we're going to do them in about a minute here. So, so what are these three points? How do we make use of these means of grace? Well, to make use of the means of grace in corporate worship, you must participate, you must prepare, and you must ponder. You must participate when you come to corporate worship. I can't tell you how many times I heard my dad say when I was growing up that worship is not a spectator sport. You do not come here to watch worship. You come here to participate. You cannot simply go through the motions. You come here to, to participate, to actively engage in the worship from God. God is not pleased when we go through the motions while our hearts remain far from him. That means that when the prayers are offered, we must be praying too. When the, when the songs are sung, our hearts must be engaged. When the confessions are made, we must be making them as the confession of our own hearts. We must be sincerely engaged in the worship. When the Word is preached, we must be listening. We must be meditating upon the words. We must be participants in the worship service. Of course, that raises questions in some people's minds. It's like, well, well, what if I'm not feeling it? You know, if, I, if I'm not supposed to go through the motions of worship, does that mean I'm supposed to wait till I'm feeling it before I go to worship? No. No, you see, there's a difference between struggling to, to engage our hearts in worship and hypocrisy. 
You see, hypocrisy is sort of pretending that you're there when you're not. Struggling is part of the human condition in this fallen world. Your feelings will never be what they are supposed to be. And so if you wait until your feelings are what they are supposed to be before you come to worship, you will never come to worship. But here's the joy of worship is that God has given us worship. He's given us songs. He's given us his word not only to express our worship, but to form it. You see, the songs we sing, the word we hear, it's formative as well as expressive. And so we come to worship that our hearts might learn to to worship. So it's not that we wait until we feel it, but when we come, we, we come acknowledging, God, I sing this song that you might make this song of my heart. Take a song like Blessed Be the Name as an example. You know, Blessed Be the Name. We, we sing we will praise His name in the good times and in the bad. You may not be feeling that when you come to worship. But you sing the song because you know that you should. And it's a prayer to God that He would make this the confession of your heart. And so when we come to worship, we participate not only to express what's already in our heart, but so that what is in our heart might be transformed. But if we're going to participate in that way, we must prepare. There's going to be some football games later today. Maybe you know something about them. But these football games, I'm not going to play. I don't have to prepare if I want to turn on the TV. But do you think the people who are going to play have been preparing? They've been preparing all week. If they are going to participate, they have to prepare in the same way. You must prepare if you're going to participate in worship. Louis Giglio once said that we ought not to come to church to worship, but ought to come worshiping to church. If you haven't been worshiping all week, it's going to be awfully hard for you to flip the switch when you get here. We come worshiping. Worshiping throughout the week is one way that we prepare to worship with God's people. Another way is is prayer. We, We pray that God would be with us. I said that we begin our worship service with a prayer, asking God, to, to set us free to worship Him as we should, but we ought to be praying throughout the week. When was the last time that you prepared for worship, asking God to do something when you gather together with His people to worship? When was the last time that you came here expectant that the Almighty living God would do something with amazing power when you gathered together with His people? We ought to be praying, asking God that He would cause this worship service to bear fruit. But it's not just the worshiping and the praying that prepares us. It's also the more mundane things that prepares us. It's making sure we get enough sleep. You know, if you're a parent and you have a kid who has a test the next day, you make sure that they get enough sleep. You you make sure that they eat the right things for breakfast. How much more ought we to prepare in that way for worship? We must prepare to participate. And that means preparing our schedules, preparing that we so that we can be here. It's not something that we fit in if we can, but we, we make it a focus. We are going to be at the corporate worship of God because I need it and they need it. That we might live the lives we have been called to live. So we must prepare to participate. And finally, we must ponder what we have heard. We must reflect. We must meditate upon what God has given us in His service as, he is, as we have made use of the means of grace. It may be a vision of of God's glory, something about God's character that we want to remember. 
It, it may be one of his promises that we want to hold on to. It, it may be a, a conviction of sin that, that has been uh, shown to us throughout the course of the service. Some, some sin or passion that we need to put to death and, and, and put off. But we need to seek to, to ponder and to apply God's truth to our lives individually throughout the week. We, we must let the word dwell richly in our hearts. It's not hear it and then be done with it, but hold on to it. Ponder it. Turn it over in our minds. Wrestle with it. Apply it that it might bear fruit. This is how we make use of the means of grace in corporate worship. We, we prepare. We participate. And then we, we ponder what we have heard. And when we do that, we will benefit. Remember, these are God's means of grace. These are the means that God has given us that we might be empowered to live the lives He is calling us to live. And if these are the means of grace that God has given us, then we can know that He will make them effectual for our salvation. He will make them work. He will use them to, to give us new life and to grow us up in that new life that we might truly be empowered. To live the lives He has called us to live. To live lives worthy of the gospel we have believed. And because we know that He is faithful. And because we know that He will do this. That is one reason we call this good news. Now, do you believe that? Pray with me. Father God, we thank You. We thank You that You call us to worship. We thank You that You give us the means of grace to use in worship. Father, I pray that you would give us your grace to use those means well. And that you would cause these means to be effective in our lives, to to renew our minds, to transform our lives, to set us free, to live to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.